Hey there, Sean. Hey, Pierce. How's it going? It's pretty okay. All right. That means it's time for another episode of the It's Pretty Okay podcast. Let's do it. Let's start the show. I'm a fable, you and me. We should leave this planet to our enemies. Got a solar system in my beat the beast. And my twist out shit and no gravity. I'm unstable. Okay. All right. All right. All right. Uh, so I am... Uh, as we record this, I'm I'm waiting for a, uh, a a purchase to arrive. It should be here tomorrow. Uh, it was a pre-order of a book uh, coming from a place that rhymes with Amazon, as the Men in Blazers love to put it. Uh, and I'll, I'll be honest, I, I I'm a little conflicted about the fact that I ordered this book from Amazon. Uh, it was one that I, I, I'm sure I, I could have bought in its hardcover release, uh, but I, I, I chose to I chose to be cheap and, and wait until the paperback came out. Um, but I've been thinking about that in light of uh, Slate Money a couple weeks ago having a segment on independent bookstores. Yes. And... We've talked, you know, in, in sort of various places on, on many episodes about the creeping encroachment of Amazon into our lives and their naked attempt to become the place where you buy everything. And their, you know, their ambition has led to some fairly well-deserved fears about what that will do to the kind of uh, smaller independent retail economy. Um, but interestingly enough, as the Slate Money folks put it, uh, independent bookstores, one of the places you would maybe think that would be hit the hardest Mm-hmm. Are, some of them are actually doing pretty well. Yeah, they they are, and and one of the reasons they were talking about them is that Barnes and Noble, which is honestly, I think the maybe the the only remaining big you know uh, big footprint uh, bookstore in America with you know borders gone, and I think there were a couple others that I can't even remember right now, but Barnes and Noble was purchased by the owner of Waterstones in the UK, which is also mm-hmm. someone who used to own Daunt Books, which is kind of a smaller independent bookstore type. Yeah. And it's very curious because the new owner of Barnes and Noble was able to take Waterstones, which is a larger bookstore chain in the UK, and kind of make it like an independent bookstore. So it was, it was, there's this chance that Barnes and Noble could become a place that you want to, to go again. I suppose there was a time where we went. I certainly went. Um, but the way that that may happen is that it becomes more like an independent bookstore. And Max, I know that we kind of mentioned it to, to you, this, cause, cause Sean and I have listened to the podcast and, and you have not, but, uh, I, I got the sense that, that the idea of the independent bookstore is one that warms you. Yeah, definitely. I mean, a lot of them are, the ones I know are very kind of cozy, cool places to hang out. Sometimes they blend like, bookstore with cafe i know mm-hmm. a lot of them have cafes inside of them 
um, you know, politics and prose up in D.C. Yeah. Um, some other local ones that I like. But, yeah, no, they're definitely cool places to hang out, find books, and um, they, they seem to bring the community together, too. Yeah, I, I don't think you can necessarily put a bookstore um, on every street corner, though maybe that existed at one time in the fake America we're always talking about. <laughs> um, but... Uh, <laughs> In some ways, I think that, that one thing that, that definitely is, is dwindling, um, and it might be in terms of books or, or music and, uh, you know, other, I mean, goodness, uh, you could even, you could even argue that, you know, places where there is visual media in, in the form of art, um, the, the civic forums for that have one thing that have, has dissolved as we've moved from, these uh, physical locations to go buy your music and and your books or view art to things being o- online. And I think that that's one thing you get to by the creation of community is they can be particularly curated and tailored to wherever you're living. So that is, I think, one of the, the things that they talked about with Daunt is the idea of a bookstore being meant to serve the community that it exists in. And so one of the things that happens a lot with bookstores is they make deals with publishers that, you know, kind of in order to provide certain inventory, they have to give a certain level of preferential treatment, you know, in terms of what you might see, like in a display at the end of a row uh, or, you know, (laughs) you know, like a smiling cardboard cutout of an author. Uh, and in terms of like commitments to buy quantities of things. Yes. And that's a huge problem if those books don't get bought because then not only are the stores not making money on selling those books, but they are then also bleeding more money on returning those books to publishers. Yes. So the, the Daunt and Waterstones folks kind of went on this mission to really understand what kind of the the reading trends of each store were so they could tailor the selection and so that way you know it gave them a few different powers it empowered their uh their staff their salespeople to like their jobs better because they felt good about the the stock that they had and what they could recommend to people. Uh, they weren't wasting money on buying books that they weren't going to sell and then returning them to publishers. So like even just, you know, purely from a, a, a cynical financial bottom line perspective, like that's a great thing not to mention the, the knock on effects of if, you know, places, places that people love to work, you know, if they are in kind of a, if they're in retail, tend to be places where people want to go buy things. They kind of exude this quality about them. Yeah. And, and I would say too that, you know, not only do they have to sell that, those, those books back, which you mentioned, but especially in these, these independent bookstores, the ones that you might run into down, down your block if you live in a certain type of area. Um, that space of unsold books costs money in terms of real estate. 
Yeah. Especially if you don't have the power of a big chain behind you. Um, you know, rent is very expensive. And uh, what what you do have when you have kind of a, a tight um, stock uh, of books, I mean, Max, you mentioned the, the space, but, you know, the spaces, if they've got a commingling of maybe a cafe or what, but there's a, there's a certain like look. I feel like you can tell if, if you feel good about a bookstore, if it's all displayed in a certain way. And it, it can be very jam packed, but there's something very appealing about that now. No, oh, definitely. I mean, I think it's funny that the expression is you don't judge a book by its cover because books are my favorite things to judge by their cover. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, it's it's fun to be able to walk around and see which books they've chosen to you know display the title, uh, the cover of, and and which um, are just kind of lined up. And it's it's very different between that and like a we've all been to a very kind of cluttered used bookstore. And I mean, I yeah. love used bookstores as yeah. much as the next person, but it's a very different feeling in the store. Yeah. You don't feel cozy and comfortable in a used bookstore. You feel like slightly overwhelmed and overwhelmed <laughs> yeah and they have and and also you'll you'll have things like you'll have kind of staff picks and sean you mentioned uh these stores being more curated to the crowd one thing that was also mentioned is the staff does go down but the staff is more invested yeah. it's not just a, a person with a summer job this is someone who said no i, I actually want to work at a bookstore and these are yeah. bookstores where they have a smaller staff so Presumably, you can get a little bit closer to to being able to live off working in a in a bookstore. So I think it becomes a a really cool cycle. And you know, we've been talking about books mostly, but I would say that the staff picks bleed over to you know, Sean. We we both really like Melody Supreme in um uh in Charlottesville there. Yeah. And I have I have over the last couple of weeks listened to a few different albums that have been uh, featured on the Instagram there that, that Gwen has, has oh, suggested cool. go listen to, um, I think a couple weeks ago was, uh, I think it's black Pumas who are playing in DC. And I'm like, well, I might have to go see them now. Cause I listened and it was cool. And I think that that's, you know, so we mentioned books and, and I think that the same kind of goes for music. These are spaces that, you know, there aren't a lot of national chains anymore and it's precarious to open up this shop of things that people can get cheaper online. But when you get an experience like that, it makes it does make me want to go back. Yeah. And so that so that has kind of set up this interesting conundrum, which I think is is what they what they wanted to talk about on Slate Money, which is that, you know, it's not it's not so much a system where the the smaller sellers that can't compete with Amazon on price are getting squeezed out. It's actually the big brick and mortar chains mm-hmm. that are trying who's really whose only way to compete with Amazon is to be somewhat price competitive with them that are are yeah. not doing well because they are, you know, they're big and slow and lumbering and they can't adapt well and and aren't you know aren't good at saying well okay we have to make this fundamental change in how we do like barnes and noble has over 600 retail stores across the country like that would be a seismic shift for them to you know to say oh we're transitioning you know we're pivoting to online um so so there is there is still clearly a space in the market for kind of community focused places where the value is not 
necessarily that you're going to get the best deal. In fact, it is explicitly not that you're going to get the best deal. Mm -hmm. It's that you are, you know, there, there's the, you know, there's the proverbial pinch of love baked in where, you know, like, you know, when you go to Melody Supreme in Charlottesville or to sidetracks that Gwen and Cal like really love what they do and are invested in, you know, helping connect people with music. You know, I, I bought, I bought two used Randy Newman records the other day and just kind of like shot the breeze with Cal for a few minutes while I was paying for them. And that was great. Um, you know, we, we talked about how I really have not listened to much Randy Newman in my life. He's like, Oh, that's so exciting. You, you picked my favorite one out. You're going to love it. And like that, that's something Barnes and Noble doesn't do that for you. Um, I did. Yeah. Now, I will say I did have an enjoyable conversation with someone in Barnes and Noble uh, a few weeks ago. Uh, we were talking about all of the different uh, mediocre to worse than mediocre book lights that they sell. Um, but that was very much the exception and not the rule. So, like, I, I love I love that there is still room for for this thing. And, and part of it seems like maybe you know uh, we've hectored people enough that people are coming around to the idea of you know it being worth paying the extra money to support these places and max you were talking about uh, a bookstore experience that you had with your mom in maine that I, i think we've kind of all had this thought before yeah yeah i was in the bookstore looking at a book um and I decided to check on Amazon, and it was maybe half the price on Amazon. And I said something to my mom, and she said, do you want this bookstore to be here next year? And so I I bought the book there. And it felt good, and I haven't read it yet. <laughs> uh, yeah, and the thing you get out with that, Max, and that, Sean, you got to with the two places in Charlottesville, um, certainly juxtaposed to the big chain stores, is that... You all are talking about the the value of the the store experience. You go to those particular stores, um, and it's it's where it is, it's the community is, it's the people in there. And I think that one of the struggles, and as we see this, it really becomes a a very polarized thing of the the faceless, massive volume centric uh, volume focus, I should say, uh, Amazon or Alibaba or, or wherever. Um, Versus these places that that are, you know, singular in a lot of ways. So I think that's what's lost in, I guess, the middle now of the Barnes and Noble is, you know, they are their value is on these brands that really don't have any meaning anymore. It's not dissimilar from, I think, like Sears or Kmart, which I have to be reminded sometimes that Kmart doesn't exist. Toys R Us, which currently doesn't exist and might come back. You know, these are all places that gone out of business and yes yeah, small stores went out too the local toy store or you know maybe the local hardware store but there are a lot that still remain because they cultivated this uh, this following of people like you know i could get it for four dollars instead of six but i do value going there and especially with something like i've run into this with with tools or our plants if you go to the garden store nearby they'll be like Actually, you know, here's some advice to go along with that. That is free. I mean, that is that's the connection yeah. part that we 
that we so lose, I think, in this modern world. Yeah, and of course, obviously, that is not to minimize. It is true. There were small independent stores of every kind that got squeezed out in the immediate short term by uh, by Amazon. And and that, like, that and, sucks. And Walmart before and, it. And, right. But that that was never... I'm, I'm starting to think that, you know, it was never Amazon's ambition, really, to kill off mom-and-pop hardware stores. Uh, mm-hmm. It was their ambition to kill off Walmart. And so, so there was there you know there was some value to if you could stick around and and take some lumps for a while, you know, and and you you used that, and and you learned and you made you know you probably made some changes to your business, but if you were able to persist through, you know, through a couple years, you know, you might actually have wound up coming out the other side stronger, you know, and and so. I, I I mean I hope that you know we talked about reunions a few weeks ago because it was me and Max's five year reunion. I hope Melody Supreme is around when we're coming back for our twenty year reunion. That would be so yeah. great. You know, I just I want I want that to be the case. You know, I want I want there to continue I want people and this is this is a dangerous thing to to hope that people will act a certain way but i want people to keep appreciating the value of your local bookstore or your record store guy or even like the happy cook and someplace where a smiling person in an apron will tell you about different kinds of knives like that's awesome those places are wonderful yeah and i would ask though in in max i think well, <clears throat> I think you you certainly are about to to uh, move move to a, a new abode, and I think it's going to have more of these these community type things going on, small stores and, and shops and everything. Um, and so you're getting the chance to experience these. Um, one thing that occurs to me is then Sean saying that hoping that people continue to appreciate those. Do you think the fact that they seem so limited right now that there aren't that many of them and or they aren't very accessible to a lot of people, do you think that that might pose an issue to being able to value them? Because how will you value something that you've maybe never experienced? Are you saying that there's not that many small bookstores? Y- yeah, I think that there aren't that many. And same thing with the, the – certainly I think the music stores especially. So – to to value something that you've never been introduced to, I I am slightly concerned about the staying power of them if you've never really been around it. I mean, I think we're very fortunate in living in places that that they are around. But if you're if you're a kid who's, I mean, I lived most of my life or a lot of my life in a very exurban area, and there was a Borders probably fifteen minutes away. But like that's very different than independent bookstores. So sure. for ten years of my life, I did not experience an independent bookstore. I surely didn't in, uh, experience an independent music store for I don't know, probably not until the last ten years. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm sure there, there's there's difficulty if they're not in certain places, but um, I think they they probably come in waves. I mean, I would have thought that 
any um, physical music medium would be totally on its way out. And now I live in a place where there's, I think, at least four vinyl record stores um, within a five-minute walk of my house. And they all seem to be doing pretty well, with the exception of one that I mentioned is having an issue with some local construction, but that's not for this podcast. But in terms of, like, business and demand, I mean, people our age are buying vinyl records, and who would have thought that would have been the case? And, yeah. and, and I don't think books are going to even go in the same direction. I don't think, you know, even if you're raised reading a, a Kindle and you've only ever read books from, from Amazon, I think there is still some kind of... There's a there's a kind of magic and, and wonder that you get from, from books, and I, I really feel that way when you walk into a really, you know, well-curated bookstore. And I don't think that feeling will go away even if that someone doesn't discover it until they maybe go to a city for the first time when they're... 25 and say wow i was this is amazing i mean i am i am long going to remember my first experience at malaprops in Asheville, north carolina the it's just it was a a beautiful store the staff was helpful and thoughtful and just i could tell that they loved books more than like any person i'd ever met in my life and I that was the day I learned that the blind date with a bookseller section exists mm-hmm. where someone cares so much about wanting to make sure that you wind up with something that you like that they're willing to wrap it in brown paper so you literally can't judge the book by its cover and write some notes for you about what's inside it so that rather than being swayed by cover art or the you know uh, the review blurbs that you know the author asked their friends to write for them like you you come you know you come to it because of a recommendation from someone who almost operates like a trusted friend like that's so that was such a unique experience and even you know there are multiple independent bookstores in charlottesville although i guess they skew more towards the used bookstore um but New, like New Dominion here on the downtown mall, they host UVA's MFA reading series. You go listen to poems and you, you know, you might stop and, and buy a book. Like that, that's a great thing. And it's, it's so cool that those places exist. And those are the kinds of places that, that are inviting. Like a Barnes and, I, I like Barnes and Noble because I like books and it's a place where there are books. So I like it. But Barnes and Noble is not, inviting in the same way that that kind of store is yeah and and max you 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 briefly mentioned the the place that is you know maybe having some issues by you and the the nature of that is important and i think going back to the the idea that there's value in the store itself the setting and and the way it interacts with I don't know to to do some some Jane Jacobs type stuff. Uh, you know, it's it's one with the street. It's one with the community. The people moving in and out through their day. And when you disrupt something, when you have construction in this case, that has disrupted the flow, the natural flow of the city of the area to these places. And I think that you know, I would I would just say that 
you know, with my question about what, what if you've never been introduced with that, introduced to this, you know, how do you, how do you enjoy these places if you've never known? Well, hopefully they continue to exist in the natural flow of things as you're walking home from work, as you're walking home from the grocery store. Though I recognize that fewer and fewer people are able to walk, be it they're zipping by on their scooter or they're just driving everywhere. So uh, I would, I would say that, you know, part of it is, is, um, and this is something that I think we so struggle with, and I know I'm guilty of, is, is, uh, is, is slowing down and being open to, to taking your headphones out and, and actually talking to someone. Something that I abhor a lot of the time, <laughs> but I'm trying to force myself. I mean, I do walk basically everywhere, which is really a, a fortunate and privileged thing, but I can do a better job of, you know, opening my ears and, and smiling occasionally to other people. Yeah, and, and, you know, slowing down goes to some of what we talked about last week with the scooters, too, and, and how, you know, efficiency isn't everything. And uh, our guy who used to be an editor for Grantland uh, sent a, 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 very, a very good Twitter message that I sent to you earlier today, uh, which is, I would join any splinter political movement that argued for reduced efficiency in all aspects of American life call it the slow party or whatever, but fight back against things becoming more efficient for no reason. Example, society was made worse by efficient baseball. Maybe society's yes. being made worse by efficient bookstores. You know, maybe maybe there's value. Maybe the inefficiency, you know, inefficiency makes it sound like it's a negative thing, but maybe that is the space where those thoughtful recommendations that someone took the time to think yeah. about and make that's where they live and so yeah it just i the 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 message of slowing down every once in a while is one that i mean shit ferris bueller told us to do it 35 years ago uh why why didn't we listen why didn't we listen to him yeah well and i think it's important to remember is Amazon and and Walmart and you know these these well to an extent you know Google and Facebook they they view you as as one of many um, and more than many one of millions uh, and you know the nice thing about used bookstores you go in there and you're an individual and that's a really cool thing that I lose sight of too much I know that yeah I mean look I I needed to buy a new laundry basket this weekend. And the fact that Walmart was there was great because I was able to get in and out with a laundry basket in like six minutes. And that's fine. But just if you're – make sure – if I can if I can leave you with a thought, it would just be to make sure you consider whether whether that book is the same as a laundry basket. Maybe it deserves a little better. So you don't support your local laundry basket stores? <laughs> I think that is what I'm saying, yes. Uh, I still, I haven't, see, I've, I'm one of those people that, that grew up never knowing of the small, independently owned laundry <laughs> Exactly, <basket store. laughs> exactly. See, I that's what I'm, this is what case. I'm concerned about. <laughs> I'm, I'm concerned about this, but. Wow. All right. Yeah. Uh, okay. So we've said our piece about the value of independent stores. Uh, let's move on to Pierce's sorry. And uh, what are you apologizing for today? So this week, uh, I um, this is I mean this is really kind of a classic thing that 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 happens all the time, and I think it is it, it, when you when you speak out of ignorance, and it's it's a genuine ignorance. But this is 
this is a, a dangerous thing. Um, and Max, I think you will particularly appreciate this, but uh, some number of um, of uh, weeks back, uh, I was at a a friend's home with with a bunch of other people, and um, we had we'd been hanging out and um, drinking some some beers and stuff and having some food, and then it was winding down at the end of the night. And, uh, uh, the, the person, the person's parents actually offered to, to make us tea. Um, and this was a, a situation where very much like culturally and just personally, the people there were big tea drinkers. Um, and so were a lot of the other people there except for me. And so there was a, there was a discussion about tea very briefly and because I didn't know, I was like thinking, oh, oh, you know, after dinner, you drink something that that, uh, you know, is, is not caffeinated, for instance. And so I, what came to mind for me was, oh, you should drink green tea. And the thing I'm apologizing for is is speaking out of ignorance and saying this aloud because I quickly <laughs> was told by everybody in the room, essentially, you're an idiot. Green tea actually has a tremendous amount of caffeine in it. Um, and, and you're wrong because... I mean, matcha, for instance, is basically just straight up caffeine. They're like, what you're thinking of is the green tea that you have in your office, which is decaffeinated tea. It's not naturally decaffeinated. Now, I'm sure that there are green teas that don't have a lot of caffeine or, or whatever, but it was a situation where I didn't know and I shouldn't have spoken with authority amongst people who were, uh, who were very knowledgeable. So I appreciated that I got this education. So I am thankful for that, but I am sorry for speaking out of ignorance amongst a very well, a very knowledgeable subset of people. Okay. Max is that as, is, as our resident tea correspondent. Tea. Is he still wrong? Uh, yeah, I'm a bit confused by the, by the, that take. Um, I mean, green tea, green tea typically has less caffeine than, than black tea. Um, but even, even so, I, I don't know. I mean, a lot of people drink caffeinated coffee after meals, after dinner. Yeah. So were you I think trying to specifically avoid. No, caffeine? I think it was, I think it was made with like, the intention was to have a low caffeine type beverage. And so okay. it ended up being a, a chai. Um, but I thought, yeah, uh, someone made us chai tea, which is, which is very nice. But yeah, my thought was that I just thought that. Green tea didn't have caffeine in it, really, and that's where I was was corrected. Not that we were drinking that, but it just came to mind. So hmm. this is a world I don't understand, and I don't want to be a douche about another beverage. So I try not to. And yet to you wait find in. it so easy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, all right, uh, we will move on and close the show as we do with a big idea from pop culture. And um, what? What should we talk about this week? Uh, you know, we uh, we were just talking about records, and and I uh, I had the chance to go uh, do this uh, thing where the uh, WTJU hosts like a monthly pop up art show, and uh, they accompany that with DJs from the station playing hour long vinyl sets. And so I, I actually played a set at one a couple weeks ago. And then there was an, an extra one uh, this past weekend. And so yesterday I went 
and and hung out because two of my friends from the station were were playing uh, and and that was where I learned that in 1981, Jane Fonda put out a workout album, uh, which was really just other people's music with Jane Fonda talking you through essentially jazzercise over the top. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and there were some things that made sense. Like, oh, excuse me, like I, the Jacksons and Billy Ocean, like make sense as kind of beat-driven, funky 1981 workout music. What doesn't work are Jimmy Buffett and Boz Skaggs, both of which were also featured on the soundtrack to Jane Fonda's workout video. Uh, So uh, it it was just moments where life doesn't make sense are often kind of fun, and that was definitely one of them for me. Well, nothing says workout like Margaritaville. I don't know what you're talking about. Changes in latitudes, changes in attitudes. (laughs) Just the most bizarre. Like, if you were going to ask me, what would be, like, the worst Jimmy Buffett song to work out to? I think, like, it wouldn't be my first choice. Uh, Come Monday would probably be high on, on that list, but... Changes in Latitudes would be would be up there as well. It's not it's not a song that gets you moving. Yeah, but what about Cheeseburger in Paradise to get the workout done quickly so you can go have one? That's right. There we go. Now you're thinking. Uh, all right. And because Pierce is thinking, that means it's the end of the show. <laughs> yeah, that's you can for darn find sure. us on Facebook or Twitter at Pretty Okay Pod or at our home on the web at www.prettyokpod.com. You can subscribe to our feed on your podcast app of choice. If you do that, please do us a favor. Leave a rating, review, comment, that sort of thing. Or just tell a friend about the show. We'd love to share what we're doing with them as well. We will be back again next week, as always, to talk about something else. Until then, have a great 4th of July. Uh, I'm Sean. I'm Pierce. I'm Max. Thanks, Liz. Thank you.